Tell me what we're looking at. I see a, a Chloe Maxman sign next to a Trump Pence sign here on uh, a main road in District 13 on Election Day 2020. In what world do you vote for like an incredibly progressive young 26-year-old woman who proposed the Green New Deal and Trump? We're going to find out. What's up, everyone? I'm Nate Birnbaum, the co-creator and producer of Generation Green New Deal. And I'm Juliana Bradley. I'm the co-creator and producer of Inherited. In the extremely limited world of podcasts about young people fighting climate change, you could call Gen G&D and Inherited pod siblings. And for this very special crossover episode of Generation Green New Deal and Inherited, we're putting our heads together to tell you the story of a brilliant young person striving for change. For Juliana and I, the story begins on Election Day 2020. I'm so happy we're doing this and we're not just sitting all day watching election news. Nate and I both happened to move to Maine last fall, just in time to try and fail to vote out Susan Collins. We connected over our very specific shared interest of making podcasts about climate change and decided to collaborate. So on that nerve-wracking morning of election day, Nate picked me up in Portland for a road trip up to Lincoln County, the most rural county in the most rural state in the country. As we drove further and further north, the signs on the side of the road changed from Biden-Harris and Sarah Gideon for U.S. Senate to Trump-Pence and Susan Collins. Oh, here we are. Here we are. So is this a, another election spot? This is a polling site. Yeah. Okay. But as we entered Lincoln County, they changed again. Lining the backcountry roads were simple white signs with blue letters reading Chloe Maxman for State Senate. Thank you for voting. I'm Chloe Maxman. Thank you for voting. I'm Chloe Maxman. Hi. Thank you for voting. I'm Chloe Maxman. Chloe Maxman. You'll be hearing that name a lot. Chloe was a 28-year-old progressive state rep running to unseat the Senate Minority Leader in Maine Senate District 13. The district comprises a section of Central Maine's agricultural region and a few coastal towns and is full of competing interests and political affiliations though it is always lean conservative. And the incumbent senator, Republican Dana Dow, was a popular businessman in the area and had held his seat for four years. There's Dow's discount. Oh, that's it. Yeah, definitely his business. But it's not like Chloe was a total underdog. She was raised in the district and had knocked on thousands of doors. Would either of you be comfortable telling us who you voted for for state senator today? I voted for Chloe. <laughs> Could you tell us why? She, she's come to the house and she's talked to us and she's just really good with the people. A lot of voters said the same thing. Chloe is personable, she came to the house, or that she's... Real smart, real educated, and real great, I guess. And it wasn't just loyal Democratic voters who'd voted for Chloe. And I'm a Republican, so... <laughs> Both Inherited and Gen D tell stories of how youth climate activists are changing the politics of our nation. And Chloe's story epitomizes exactly that. Chloe came into politics from the world that we inhabit, the world of passionate young people with the odds stacked against them, fighting for a livable present and future. She didn't decide to run for state office because she liked the way her name looked on the ballot. She ran for office because she knew it was one of the most important ways to face the climate crisis and transform our society for the better. If we're going to do that, we need to elect climate champions up and down the ballot. 
Chloe is an example of the type of politician whom we need many more of, like thousands more of. So, how does someone who's so young attempt to win a state senate seat in a rural red district? And why would she want to? I just love, I love where I live. It's it's really just that simple, you know. I love the land. I love the animals. I love how I was raised. I love my community and how kind people are. I love how we are there for each other all the time. We have bonds that go beyond party or religion or identity. And when, you know, when you live in a rural community, you you help each other and you're there and I in all the seasons and all the ways and I I've just appreciated um everything about about my hometown and I um I love it. Midcoast, Maine, where Chloe is from, is pretty easy to love. Think of rolling hills, deep blue lakes, and thick green forests butting up against the picture-perfect rocky coasts of Maine. Maine's economy is heavily dependent on its natural resources. It relies on its seas for lobster, its shores for summer tourists, its expansive boreal forests for lumber, and its windswept frozen soils for wild blueberries and potatoes. But the Gulf of Maine is the fastest warming body of water on the planet. The lush boreal forests are being depleted by pine beetles that are no longer facing the harsh winter freezes that have kept them at bay. Maine's land can't keep up with its industry or the fast warming world, which is one of the reasons why Chloe has been a climate activist since she was a little kid. So if you imagine the power of one town to create this type of change just through one student group, then you can imagine what a nation or even a country could do. Since her middle school recycling club days, Chloe has taken on the man. When she was 13, she battled real estate developers in her neck of the woods. The largest real estate company in the country was coming in and planning to develop house lots and marinas and golf courses. She knew she wanted to do something climate change related and hoped college would expand her view of what that meant. But when she left home to Harvard's ivory tower, she didn't find anything new. Getting to Harvard and being part of the environmental groups that were there, it just felt pretty blah. And the, like, the biggest thing that I remember is there were these plaques in the shower that were like, take shorter showers, save the environment. Just like, no, uh, I like my long showers. At Harvard, Chloe found nothing but reminders to recycle and do your part and little to address the systemic issues of the climate crisis. Everything the university and its student groups were focused on seemed somehow too big and too small at the same time. I remember sitting in my dorm first year at Harvard and reading about this pipeline that runs from Montreal down to Portland, Maine. It's an old pipeline that was built in the 60s and used to carry oil from Portland up to Montreal and through Canada. But there was this proposal to reverse the flow of the pipeline and bring tar sands from Alberta to Montreal and then down through New England and out through Portland's Casco Bay. So Chloe joined a growing movement demanding that colleges, like Harvard, stop investing in the fossil fuel companies that threatened her home. I knew that 
places like Harvard certainly had massive connections to dark money, but I I hadn't really thought about it as as a direct tactic. I mean, that, that summer confronting Exxon in Maine and then reading about divestment, I was like, I can go back to Harvard and fight this pipeline by getting Harvard to stop investing in ExxonMobil. The fossil fuel industry is waging a war on truth. And Harvard, what's our motto? Our motto is Veritas. Our motto is truth. We should be standing up for truth. She was joined by other students who, like her, were fed up with incremental climate action. Our first bonding experience was, I think Chloe put out the the call for someone to help her go and pick up gravel for a Keystone XL pipeline um, art display on campus. And the gravel was going to form like part of the oil spill coming out of the pipelines. That's Canyon Woodward. Like Chloe, he came from a really rural area, Western North Carolina. Chloe and Canyon pretty quickly became best friends and partners in activism, nurturing and developing their little crew of divestment warriors who became their closest friends at Harvard. By the time they graduated, the divestment movement had gained steam, and the university felt the heat from the students' pressure. The movement had spread to universities across the country, and in September 2021, Harvard announced that it would be fully divesting from fossil fuels. But it was 2015, so Canyon went back south and worked for Bernie's first presidential campaign, applying the organizing skills and tactics he learned as a student activist to a national campaign. You look at so many of the young political leaders and the young organizers that are most inspiring to me, and and so many of them came out of campus organizing and fossil fuel divestment and prison divestment in particular. It's such a ground zero for learning about organizing and and getting into it. And Chloe went back to Maine. I came back to Nobleboro literally the day after we graduated, got the F out of there. I really felt like we had maxed out our, our organizing capacity and weren't really pivoting all of that energy towards electoral politics. After graduation, I pretty explicitly decided to focus more on politics, but none of that thinking would have come without Divest Harvard. So, I mean, that like there are so many times when Canyon and I would be sitting on that blockade talking about how we could take all this amazing energy that we had built and bring it back to rural places like where we grew up and how we could make it resonate and, um, and how we could make it stick with, with real policy. Chloe's drive to do climate work hadn't wavered since moving back to Maine, but she had no idea what working on climate in a sustainable, effective, and empowering career meant for her. I mean, it honestly took me a while to figure out how to do it in a way that I felt was meaningful. You know, I knew I wanted to do political stuff. That's kind of where I landed. We know we need climate policy, so we're only going to get there if we elect good people. And then it ultimately, I was like, I had these narratives in my head that I had to have a master's degree or be married and have children to run for office, but uh, that's a false narrative. So I'd just gone to North Carolina and Canyon had gotten an amazing offer to manage a big state Senate campaign um, down there. And um, and I was doing some climate organizing up here and just feeling so dissatisfied and like it wasn't getting at the heart of anything. So just kind of all these swirls of me circling around what I felt called to do, but not really understanding what that was. And I came home um, like a week later and I was like, what if I 
what if I run for office this year? There was um, an open seat in my district. The the super conservative woman had just turned out uh, and a Republican and a Dem had already filed to run. So I was like, what if we, what if we throw our hats in the ring? What if we just make it all come true right now? So in early 2018, Chloe took a pretty big leap from what she thought it meant to be a climate activist and decided to run for state representative with Canyon by her side as campaign manager. I had no intention of running in my 20s or early 30s. It was in my mind, but far away. I wanted to be doing political work in rural places and didn't know how I could do that in a town of 1,600 people. And there are just all these things that I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do them in a rural, rural, small town space. Chloe's house district in 2018 was rural and pretty conservative. You know, only 27% of District 88 is Democrat. So I did eight passes of all the Democrats in the district. But then after that, we had to start connecting with super conservative folks. And they really connected. Chloe overcame a 16-point deficit to win the Maine House District 88 race and became the youngest state rep in Maine at the age of 26. Oh my God. <laughs> Chloe said this first race taught her a lot. It definitely kind of shifted our messaging and our tone and taught us so much about how Democrats and progressive movements in general have failed to connect with these folks. I mean, just talking with people every single day who have never been contacted by a Democratic candidate or a Democratic canvasser in their entire voting history, and then I show up at their door. The Democratic Party has also just really, really failed to invest in organizing in rural America. When you've got, when you've got the chair of your national party saying things like you can't knock doors in rural America, um, that's a huge problem, and that's a mindset that really needs to shift. Maybe that was shocking to be like, there's all of this untapped space to organize in rural places simply for the reason that Democrats don't run good campaigns in rural America. Some of that untapped space that Chloe discovered actually seemed pretty obvious. It was really just about listening to voters and constituents to build out policy that speaks directly to their needs. I mean, I kept hearing people be like, you know, I want to be able to live in Maine and I want to have good jobs and good industries here that don't ruin our land. And I heard people be like, I want to go ice fishing every winter, you know. And so these were all ways that I heard us talking about climate change and the renewable energy economy in very different ways, you know, ways that were pretty much the way that we talk about it in a rural place. Like, we want to live here, have a nice life do the things that make us happy, which are all around the land. The idea that, that people vote on policy positions is, is really misguided in a lot of ways. Folks, folks don't think politics, they feel politics. And yeah, when you feel so, so left behind and, and so unrepresented in politics, then it, it doesn't matter that much what, what the platforms are. And so when I got into the state house, I mean, one of the reasons I ran was to to put forward 
climate policy, but I really wanted to propose climate policy that was by and for my community. So the Green New Deal, like the idea of calling it that came out of some conversations with other legislators. And we worked with the the unions in Maine to really build up language that was focused on job training and job access for folks who wanted to work in the renewable energy sector. If you know anything about the Green New Deal, you probably also know that it's the favorite punching bag of Republican politicians, moderate Democrats, and even Chloe's own constituents. I hate the Green New Deal. It's not going to work. So why would Chloe want to start off her career in her rural conservative district by proposing a piece of climate legislation with the same name as the, quote, leftist socialist sci-fi tale that Senate minority leader Mitch McConnell loves to ridicule. And I mean, the the bill itself was was not radical. I wanted to call it the Green New Deal to really draw attention to a different way of talking about climate policy that was rooted in rural working spaces. What you need to know about Maine's Green New Deal is that it was really just inspired by the framework of the National Green New Deal, but it mainly focused on helping to create good jobs in the clean energy industry in Maine. It was localized and specific, and really, it was nothing like the scale or the scope of the National Green New Deal. But that was kind of the point. So, you know, for me, the heart of it is representing where I come from. So I will never go in and and put forward policy that I don't think is fighting for my people or our home, um, or that I knew wouldn't resonate with, with my community at all. What climate policy looks like in Nobleboro, Maine is very different than what it looks like for New Orleans or Houston or Wyoming. I mean, all of these places have such different, yeah, different realities. And I think policy has to has to reflect that. And that means having people from those places that are really in touch with their constituents and um, policy that isn't just like cookie cutter plopped all over the country, but that is really by and for the community. I think one story that was really formative for me was when I was, uh, when my Green New Deal bill came up for a vote on the House floor. The chair recognizes the representative from Nobleboro, Representative Maxman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I was so excited because I'd been waiting my whole life to be in a political space where I could talk about climate change and how government has failed and, and to bring young people's voices into that space. And so I wrote this long speech about climate change and why the bill was, was so important. I've been working on this issue for 15 years and I feel like I've been waiting for this moment because the one thing... But the Republicans, 30 seconds apart, four times, interrupted me. The member will defer. The chair recognizes the representative from Pittston, Representative Hanley, and inquires as to why I he raised the same objection that I raised before. And then the whole session ground to a halt, and leadership had to call, you know, everyone into the well of the House to have a little meeting about whether or not I was allowed to speak about climate change on my bill called a Green New Deal. Discussion on the floor now is, has nothing to do the content of the bill before us. It was really awful. It was really, really bad. That was a pretty showing experience, I think, and also really telling to me how, at least in my mind and the people that I work with, climate change is so tied to these different parts of our world. But for the older white male Republican counterparts, um, that analysis is non-existent. So there's still a lot of work to do. Despite the heavy opposition and disregard for Chloe's position, the bill actually passed, 
On June 12, 2019, Maine had a Green New Deal, the first statewide bill of its kind in the country. And Chloe was the one to make it all happen. Getting a bill like this passed in her first term as state rep was a big deal. And Chloe knew her action at the state level was part of a wider impact of the growing youth climate movement. She still wanted to represent the people in the home that she loved. But Chloe also wanted to represent more people, to have a greater impact. So she decided to run for state senate. This district back in the beginning of the year was highlighted by the Hill as one of the top counties to look at in the country because it's coastal and agricultural. It's almost evenly split, Democrat, Republican, independent. It's just like such a fascinating mix of dynamics here. And I think we have a lot to prove about what campaigns can look like in places like this and what public service can look like here too. Senate District 13 was represented by Dana Dow, the Republican minority leader in Maine Senate who had never lost a general election in his 20 years of on-again, off-again public service. Chloe would have to unseat him in the 2020 election if she wanted to continue to represent her home in the State House. Over the course of 2020, pandemic and all, Chloe ran for State Senate, with Canyon as her campaign manager once again. This time, in Senate District 13, she had three times as many voters to reach. But she was up to the challenge. In this Senate district of just over 30,000 voters, Chloe personally knocked on over 13,000 doors. On election night, Maine's 13th Senate district was called for Chloe by almost 800 votes. Lots of local climate champions were elected, whether that was in state legislatures or city councils all across the country. We've got folks like Chloe Maximum in Maine and Nikhil Saval in Pennsylvania. What did we prove? Oh my God. Um, You know, what I always tell folks is that I can't change politics as a system, but I can change how my people relate to politics and how I relate to my people. Um, And so being able to do that on a larger scale is the heart of the work. It's why we ran a bigger campaign. It's why I'm excited to serve in the Senate. Um, Loved serving in the House, but this opportunity was there and We really want to show that it can be done differently on on a serious scale. There's more. We're still unpacking it. Since getting elected to the Maine Senate, Chloe has continued to be a champion of progressive climate policy and a leader who embodies the spirit of public listening. Over the last few months, Chloe has introduced a bill that would amend Maine's constitution to guarantee that every Mainer has a right to clean air and clean water. It's called the Pine Tree Amendment, in honor of the tree on Maine's original state flag. And the Senate just voted in favor of adopting the amendment. Senator Chloe Maxman of Nobleboro is sponsoring this bill and says it's about holding the government accountable on decisions that might cause harm. What it's about is giving Mainers more power to stand up and say when there is a law or a permit that is impacting our right to a healthy environment that we have the ability to speak back against that. Chloe and Canyon also just wrote a book. It's called Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It. The book will be out in spring of 2022, and it shares some of the lessons that they've learned along the way during their two successful campaigns. I mean, I I really think it goes back to so much of what I was saying before, which is how 
unheard and left behind people feel. And I think on the right and the left and everywhere in between, we recognize that politics as usual has failed us. And the way that it's failed us is different for each of the us's, but it's failed everybody. I know for a fact there were no other local candidates in this area that went door to door and actually talked to people. And in 2018, a lot of the people that I talked to were not talked to by other Democratic campaigns. So people also had an opportunity to have a candidate listen to them, you know, and really incorporate and understand what they're thinking and feeling. I think there's a lot more that we have in common than we than we think, and we just don't really take the time to find that space and, and really honor that. This episode was produced by Juliana Bradley, Georgia Wright, Sam Eilertson, and myself, Nate Birnbaum, with story consulting from Michael Catano. It was edited and sound designed by Juliana Bradley and Georgia Wright. Special thanks to Chloe Maxman, Canyon Woodward, Esther Pugh, Henny Sullivan, Forrest Woodward, J.W. Oliver, and Noah Foley-Bining. If you liked this episode, go listen to the first season of Inherited, hosted by Georgia and Juliana, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow both shows on Twitter and on Instagram, at InheritedPod and at GenerationGND. We're also on Facebook as Generation Green New Deal, and you can subscribe to our newsletter and find links to all our videos at our website, generationgreennewdeal.com. And don't forget to leave both shows a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've made it this far and you want to hear and see more from Canyon and Chloe, check out the short film Rural Runner about Chloe's 2018 campaign, which was directed by Canyon's brother Forrest. Thank you for listening.